And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on, but testing is all over. Six days at Barcelona have flown by in a flash, and after a frantic final day of running, we finally have all the answers to our questions. Or do we? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me for the definitive verdict on F1 pre-season testing are Scott Mitchell and Gary Anderson. Well, before I speak to anyone, I guess, I think I should, I should set the scene. We're in, we're in an authentic... Uh, lobby of a, of a Spanish airport hotel. Uh, obviously, we're going to be flying back tomorrow morning. We've, we've, all, got, uh, we've all got a nice uh, a sneaky beverage delivered. We're, we're sort of in the corner of, uh, of the, the restaurant area, so it's a little, bit, a little bit of noise in the background. You might be able to hear the commentary on uh, Real Sociedad versus uh, Villarreal uh, in the background. That's quite quiet. You might not be able to pick that up, and you might hear some incidental noise, but we're, uh, we're here, so we're, so we're ready for tapas straight after uh, finishing. So we're, we're going to absolutely uh, crack on with things. But Scott Mitchell, you're looking very relaxed there with your, with your beverage of choice. This is the happiest I've been from testing. I've got a, mass, I've got a goldfish bowl of a and t I've got my favourite tiki shirt on. And I've got a bit of football on the telly. I, I'm delighted. I'm, <laughs> I, this is how all podcasts should start. Well, I'm hoping you're going to be paying attention and fully engaged in this. You're not going to get too relaxed. You're also in quite a reclining sort of chair as well. I'm ready to analyse the first week of testing it. <laughs> well, you weren't ready to do that last week, so uh, that's a bonus for the for the listeners. Baby steps, Ed. Baby steps. <laughs> and we've also got Gary Anderson, also looking uh, equally relaxed, I would say. You've been crunching numbers and digesting testing. So this is our testing verdict podcast. So, Gary, come on, you are the master of verdict. What is your verdict? Well, yeah, head spinning a little bit with all the numbers, and it's, it's it's very very difficult. Obviously, I mean, you know, we've tried over many years to to perfect something that we can um, call a reasonable direction, but you know, we really don't know the inside of the team stuff. We don't really don't know the fuel loads are carrying. But 
So I've come up with a system of trying to um, average out the lap times. There's, there's three main tyres used here, C3, C4, C5. Now, different cars run on different ones, um, but I've averaged out the lap time so that no matter what tyre you were on, I've created a tyre, a, a lap time for the different tyres, and then I've averaged out all those three as well. So I've tried to cut down the potential errors as much as possible. And uh, I get this, you know, a different lap time from what the cars have done because it's the average of those three compounds. And, you know, again, we get the, initially we get Red Bull and Mercedes, you know, side by side, um, theoretically doing a 1 minute 16.01, 1 minute 16.06. Racing Point doing a, a 1 minute 16.3, Renault 16.6. Um, Ferrari doing a 16.7, McLaren 16.8, Alfa Turi 16.9, Haas 17.0, Williams 17.2, and Alfa Romeo 17.2. But, you know, that is without taking into account anything else, fuel loads or whatever. So, again, went a bit more into depth with it, with the fuel loads that we have experience of in the past. You know, we know the bigger teams usually continue their test program with the fuel loads as best possible. Uh, and the smaller teams sometimes have a bit of a a drain out to try and do a bit more of a, lap, a better lap time. You know, nothing wrong with that whatsoever, um, because at some point in time that's what's going to happen anyway. So you might as well, you know, get on the wagon and, and, and have a look at it and see how the car responds. And we get a slight change in that, because that, the big teams, as I say, I'm talking about 50 kilograms of fuel still in the car, um, and 10 kilograms of fuel is about 0.33 of a second. So it can make a significant difference. Um, and we get Red Bull still at the top of the top of the field, doing a, a one minute fourteen point three, which is, you know, pretty quick. I, I expected them to do like a fourteen point five on a on a low fuel run, so I'm, I don't think that's that far away from really the ultimate lap time. Uh, just just ahead of Mercedes with a fourteen four, Ferrari with a fifteen zero, Racing Point with a fifteen three, McLaren fifteen five, Alpha Touri with a fifteen six, Renault with fifteen nine, Alfa Romeo sixteen two. Haas 16.4 and Williams 16.5. So, you know, as I say, there's a lot of stuff going into making those numbers up. They are by no means perfect, but I think from the information we have, they're as good a guideline as we've got at this point in time. Yeah, it's always difficult. It's uh, something akin to alchemy, turning the raw data into real numbers. And you always t are very, very kind of data dependent and use the numbers as they are. Uh, but ultimately, Scott, overall, we still sort of feel it's, it's Mercedes' test, isn't it? Despite a few little problems. Yeah, maybe that is, uh, it's probably getting a bit boring hearing this, to be honest, but I just feel like every everything that happens to them just is indicative of why they're so good. They have, they've, they've moved on to their, their third engine for the works team in, in the test. The, the customer team, Williams, not, not racing point, but, but Williams had various problems as well. And I think even on the very final day, there was another minor issue going on. Mercedes had to end a third of their days early because of, of setbacks. Um, they, I believe they were running the engine uh, turned down a little bit as well on the final day of running today because of all of the, the problems that they've had. And yet they still come out on top with more mileage than anybody else and what looks like a, a, a faster car as well. It sounds, from what I, I spoke to, I was speaking to Lewis Hamilton today in his media session and from what Lewis was saying, He's got a lot of confidence and, and feel in this car. He, he seems like he's actually able now to go to Melbourne and just feels like he could just stick it on track and, and get on with it. And don't really feel like Mercedes was ever really at that point last year. So it has been a nice and smooth pre-season test 
from that perspective, I think they've got the car where they want it. It is just a little bit fragile on the reliability side. We know that they've pushed really hard to improve the engine over the winter. They, they, they've lost that status as the benchmark engine in F1 now. They're trying to get it back. Maybe they've taken a little bit of a risk. Maybe they've pushed a little bit too hard. Hopefully, they're going to have, they will hope that they've got the countermeasures in place so that when they get to Australia, they'll be able to start on the right foot. But yeah, there is that little question mark over them despite a very encouraging preseason test. Would you say, Gary, Mercedes, where your money is? Yeah, I think you would put your money down. I mean, they're going to be there or thereabouts for sure. The problem is this reliability issue. I mean, the time that I've taken for these numbers here from Mercedes uh, was the time that Valtteri Bottas set on the C5 tyre, the very soft tyre, uh, on the third day of the first test. And today, Valtteri again was quickest in theory on on the day, but he was 0.46 of a second slower than he was on that on you know after before three days three days testing ago. So obviously they've had to turn down the engine a bit or do something with it because normally you would see a little bit of a improvement, uh, and we saw that from every other team, but we didn't see it from from them. So the problems are maybe not just quite as small as we make out. And obviously they're they're going to be digging in there pretty deep, but. You know, this is uh, Friday. This is first practice in two weeks' time in Australia. So there's not a lot of time to, to really get into it, to, uh, to try and f- identify the problems and rectify them. So making bits for engines, if they have to do something like that, it's not an overnight job. You know, there's some serious materials in there and treatments and all sorts of stuff that take time. So we'll wait and see. But they've had more problems here, reliability-wise, with themselves and Williams than I think they'd have liked to have had. Yeah, I think it's it's dependent on exactly what the nature of the problem is. They might have identified it and know how to fix it, but haven't quite been able to uh, <laughs> been able to uh, do it. Uh, someone, oh, one of the uh, the uh, the staff approaching us, I think, to take our order there, and then quickly backed away when they saw what we were up to. Very uh, very helpful. And we are going to don't worry, we are going to order some tapas shortly, but we'll uh, we'll keep talking for a bit. But yeah. Mercedes are very, very good at reacting to this. They'd already had a few countermeasures for an MGUH problem that first showed on the on the Williams in the first test. So they're on it, but the extent of the problem, we don't really know uh, at this stage. Let's move on to who's actually challenging Mercedes, Scott. Where do you feel it's Red Bull and Ferrari? Depending on how you dice, the numbers, Red Bull looks much stronger on single lap pace, adjusted pace, but... Ferrari showing a few hints of being a bit better on on race pace, so it's it's quite hard to gauge those two, especially as Red Bull had so many off track moments. It is hard to to judge, and I think part of that is because it, even today was a continuation of this very murky picture through preseason. It feels like this has been the hardest one to judge for for a few years now, and there is that there is that inability to split Red Bull and Ferrari depending on, on how you want to judge them. But I, 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 think, I think if I look at what, uh, what Gary's seen trackside from, from the Red Bull, I think what, how consistent Gary's been with how impressive Red Bull is, I, I can't shake how impressed I've been from what I hear and see from Max off track. I just, it's very rare you have that feeling from a driver where just even if there's a small setback, if there's a spin, if there's a, a bit of time in the garage in the morning, it's just the, the, the face is just a picture of confidence afterwards. And the way he talks is just like every, they're doing everything they want to do. And I think we said this before, it might be that they're, they're really happy, everything's working well, and then they get to Australia and they've got a nice handling car, but it's a tenth or two off the pace and they're not in the mix. But I just don't get the feeling... That I spoke to 
I spoke to Honda's technical director, Toyoharu, Toyoharu Tanabe, this evening, and he seems, you know, he said he was happy but never confident. And that's sort of been their, their narrative for the last year now. But on the Honda side, they seem to have done everything that they wanted to do. The Red Bull side, they seem to have done everything they want to do. Max, it feels at home at the, in the car. I'm really struggling to, to, to find a reason not to believe that Red Bull will, will go out and be Mercedes' nearest challenger. Well, the time I used for Red Bull on the calculation was done on the C3 tyre. Um, and he, he was on a better lap on the C4 tyres. Uh, first and second section was, was up, but he made a mistake in the, in the third section. So although the lap was a little bit faster, it wasn't as representative for the tyre. So it wasn't really good for me to take from my calculation. So I think there's time in there, but he has had a lot of spins. There has been, there does seem to be an area where in the slow corners, especially the turn 13 as, as the, the corner before the chicane, he's been off there a few times. Um, it just seems to be there's a, going into that corner, the rear end gives up a little bit. And he, that's what happened to him today as well with uh, with the C4 tyre. You know, got a bit sideways on him, so he lost the lap time. But... Um, you know they've got time to fix it. This is this is going to be a lot of work on the simulator trying to fi- identify that problem and, and have a bit of a play with it. It's not a bit like Mercedes. Mercedes obviously has a, got a, a reliability problem that they're looking at, but for for Red Bull, it's more simulator work trying to come up with solutions to their problems, the handling problems, and they've done enough laps to recognise them. So now they just got to rectify them. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it how it shakes out. I mean, the general feeling is that Mercedes has a has a handy advantage and. I wouldn't be surprised if that does translate to quite a big advantage in in Melbourne because often they are very, very strong uh, at that circuit and I can foresee a situation where they absolutely dominate Melbourne and everyone's like, oh, it's just going to be the same again. But, you know, I I think it could be a little bit more interesting than that as as the season goes on. I don't think we need to be doom and gloom or it's going to be a Mercedes walkover again, even if if they are going to ultimately win a seventh consecutive double. There is pressure that can build there. And on the Australia point, I think the other thing that stands in their favour is the noise the noise coming out of the Mercedes camp from the drivers and what you've seen on track is that that car does look very stable and confident. If Ferrari is still trying to figure exactly where their best setup is now on, a, on this car that's gone for more downforce and uh, compared to the lower drag solution they had last year and Red Bull does have that slightly nervy rear end, those are two things, both those teams are going to have something at Melbourne that you just don't want on that kind of track. Bumpy, unpredictable, low grip. You want a car that's going to go there and be absolutely planted. And that's what Mercedes got, the others who don't. So it could be that you go there, they do have that edge, and it looks a little bit bigger. And then we go to Bahrain, fingers crossed we do actually go to Bahrain, and the gap shrink, shrinks a bit. Yeah, I think I think what we've got with Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari is that, again, the same thing. Red Bull, um, sorry, Mercedes have got a car for all occasions in reality um i don't think ferrari and and red bull have quite got that there'll be tracks where the red bull will be super quick and there'll be tracks where ferrari will probably be very quick but at the minute i i can see the overall average of mercedes being just that little bit stronger you know the car's very good to drive i believe it looks good it's good in the bumps it's you know does everything right so i think they can go there fairly well set up. I don't want to see them dominate. I want to see them having to race for it. I don't care who wins in the end of the day, but I want to see a race before the before the you know the, the season sort of unfolds. Let's talk about Ferrari then. We know they took a slightly different approach to testing. We know, as Scott alluded to, that they, they seem to have a little bit more drag on the car. They've, they've pushed to get downforce. You know, often you do get a little bit more 
of one with uh, a little bit more of the other. Uh, should we say there is a relationship there? Ferrari, some reasonably encouraging long runs, relatively sedate on the on the single lap pace. But Ferrari, are, how much are they managing expectations? How much are they trying to just downplay everything? And are they have they got a load of pace in their locker? They're going to unleash in Australia? Do you think Scott, or do you think it's more that they're they're perhaps they're not as far off as some people suggest, but they've got they've still got a bit of work to do. Well, I think there is this. I think there is a scenario where both sides are right, where Ferrari say they're not hiding or playing games, but what Mercedes says about how much they're holding back is true because we know that they're not. We know they're not a second off the pace, or 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 probably even five or six tenths off off the pace. But just because they say that they're behind, it could mean that they're only a tenth or two behind. Ferrari are adamant that they're not playing games. Mercedes are, and Honda are pretty adamant that it's the other way around and actually, yeah, they're, they're holding plenty back. But we didn't see anybody take all the fuel out and then crank everything up to 11 and, and go for it. So I do find the I do find these sort of accusations, like I don't know if they're mind games or whatever. Lewis Hamilton said today that mind games are the sort of thing that only weak-minded people play because you need to resort to this psychological warfare because you can't win in a straight fight. But... It's just tricky to know exactly where where Ferrari stand. They, they, some of the stuff they've said this week has been a little bit contradictory. You know, one minute they're absolutely adamant they're behind, and the next minute they're saying you can't draw conclusions from testing. It's kind of like, well, what is saying you're behind if not an, if not a conclusion? I I suspect I suspect they're not quite as well sorted as Mercedes. They're going to be a, maybe a tenth or two off off the pace, if not a little bit more at the at the moment. And it just comes down to how much they can refine it in, in time for, for Australia. Because if they do have a concept that is fundamentally producing more downforce and more performance, then maybe they do have a package that can challenge. But if they're not getting it right and it's just not quite there and working out, they're, they're not, it's not going to show ultimately in the lap time. No, it's, it's difficult because, you know, obviously they've changed their philosophy a bit, or it looks like they've changed their philosophy a bit. Uh, to go for more downforce and the tyre reacts to that but then you, you take the long runs that I've had a look at um, tonight as well I mean I calculate that from my times with the fuel load and that that Ferrari are about six tenths slower than Mercedes Lewis Hamilton did a race run at the, the first test <clears throat> and I plotted out all the laps and uh, Leclerc did a race run in the, in the, this, today in the test um, and basically if you take the, the time lost uh, it works out at six tenths per lap to Leclerc. So my low fuel running at time as such and their race average lap time is about six tenths, six tenths difference in both of them. So, you know, you can't do a race run we start without starting with a car full of fuel and you probably end up with it pretty near empty. So you can't hide from that really. That's, that's, a, that's the law of physics. It just happens. And so you can relate that to your delta time. Uh, on low fuel and we're not far away on that one so whether the time is correct or not that's a different question but I think the delta between Mercedes and Ferrari is not far away and six tenths is a lot you know last year they were a lot closer than that significantly closer than that on most occasions but six tenths is a a big bridge to fill and you know yeah I haven't as I said many times I haven't seen the body language in Ferrari to say it's just around the corner we just need to turn this knob and watching the car in the track, I don't think it's just around the corner, need to turn this knob. It, it looks all okay, you know? We should also say that Barcelona can be a circuit that exaggerates gaps, just like Albert Park is, actually. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see a big advantage from Mercedes in Australia, and then when it comes to Bahrain, you're going to be dealing in a few tenths here and there. So I think let's see how it all 
how it all plays out, assuming that the races all will go ahead with with goings on. But so I think we've kind of gone Mercedes one, Red Bull two, Ferrari three. I personally feel that second or third. There's different ways you can dice that. You can make an argument Ferrari is potentially stronger than Red Bull. Although on balance of probability, it feels like Red Bull's ahead. So it's been a little bit messy in in that regard. It doesn't feel quite as clear cut as last year, which is probably for the better, given how uh, difficult it was to call things last year. Yeah, I mean, you can sort of move it around any way you want just by changing numbers a little bit. But um, I I I think we could see Red Bull a little bit closer to the front. I don't think they'll be fighting with Ferrari. I'd be surprised if they are. But all, hopefully all three of those will actually get it hooked up in, in uh, Melbourne and you know we'll we'll see a really competitive race because last year Mercedes surprised themselves you know Ferrari surprised themselves they were so bad so that was a bit of a shock to them I think they'll be going both teams will be going to uh, Melbourne a little bit more prepared than they were last year Mercedes trying to work out why they were so good so they'll be a bit more prepared and Ferrari trying to work out why they were so bad and so you know there's a lot of homework to do and this has been the big question through testing over over every day for the last two weeks now how much is ferrari just trying to you know, recover from the from the narrative that hurt them so badly last year which was be the be the king of pre-season and then turn up to to australia and have your pants pulled down and ferrari again they they say they're not hiding anything that this this isn't about that because their their argument and uh, be interesting actually gary to get your take on this their argument is that if you're claiming that they're going slowly now to take the pressure off them so that then they look like heroes when they turn to Australia, what Bonotto said is just like, if, when you're at Ferrari, you get crucified in the Italian in the Italian press and within the company for going slowly. So all this is going to be doing, if if they were holding back, is adding the pressure to then go to Melbourne and do a good job. No, I agree 100% with that. You can't, you know, with Ferrari, you can't let one day go past without trying to do the best job you can because, you know, the Italian media will just, destroy you completely you know the writing's on the wall at the minute it just depends on whether they're using block capitals or not is anybody going to say that mercedes aren't going to win in australia i am so you know from my point of view it's so easy to say that mercedes are one in in australia and 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 you're you know you're probably right but at the end of the day i i i genuinely believe that red bull are strong enough to, to to pull something out of there they need to do a little bit of work before they get there but it's work that they can do away from the track and if they do that, I, I would be, if I was a betting man and I was going out now, I mean, I'd look at the odds as well. And I think the odds on, on Max Verstappen winning Australia would be a lot better than Lewis Hamilton winning or, or Valtteri Bottas winning Australia. So I would put my 10p on, on the guy who was giving me the best odds. Your whole fee for working for the race? Yes. Fantastic. Yes, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's Two bad. weeks test and six days, <laughs> 10p, that's not bad. <laughs> Don't work out your hourly rate, rate Gary, you'll be disappointed. <laughs> it's more than I used to hearing from, uh, from Eddie Jordan. That's, uh, that's very true, yeah, very true, not a high bar. But uh, Scott, are you, are you going Mercedes? Yeah, I think it is Mercedes, definitely. Okay, that was a good short answer. Uh, I'm, I'm going Mercedes, but I, I take what Gary's saying, but I think, I think it's going to be a bit closer than people think, and although I think Australia might be a bit exaggerated i think it's going to come together a bit more as the season progresses well we're going to take a very very brief break we're going to get our tapas order in all importantly and then we're going to be back to talk a little bit more about the other teams and what's going on in the midfield well welcome back we've got our dinner ordered which is the important thing before we move on to the midfield i should say there is also a big talking point today which emerged 
12 minutes, I think it was, before, before the end of testing with Ferrari releasing a, uh, with the FIA releasing a press release about uh, an investigation and analysis they've done of the Ferrari uh, power unit. We're not going to talk about that in this podcast, but if you head to our YouTube channel, you'll find a, a video that discusses what we know about that and uh, exactly what's gone on there. I think it's a, it's a sort of fairly significant uh, significant story, so one that uh, is, well worth, uh, is well worth taking a look at. Scott Mitchell, obviously, has, uh, has dealt into that intensely. So if you look for the races YouTube channel, the video title is FIA Drops Ferrari Engine Settlement Bombshell as F1 Testing Ends. So search for that, and uh, myself and Scott Mitchell will uh, join you in video form to tell you all about that. But let's talk about the midfield. Gary Anderson, the fastest raw lap, as it were, was a Renault. I don't think any of us think Renault is at the front of the midfield, right at the front of the midfield at the moment. So who is and who are we looking for to, to lead the way and, and lead the challenge? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe Renault are you know, heading the midfield. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a big battle there because that fourth place, it's a very coveted position. Um, and it's also the gap to third that has been the problem in the past. So although the midfield has been great racing, all of them wanted to close that gap down and join that club at the front. Probably smaller, but still there this year. Probably smaller, but still, well, it will be smaller. I'll stick my neck out and say that, but still there. Um, and at the minute, I, you know, if we take that head in the midfield, top the three teams that are up the front of the midfield, for me, are Racing Point, McLaren and Alfa which was Toro Rosso last year. So again, it's a fiddle with the fuel loads and whatever, but I think that um, Racing Point have looked good. They've been quick all week. You know, they're doing a good job. Everyone feels they're going to be leading the midfield, don't they? Everyone in all the teams do. I think journalists do. I think the drivers are very, very confident. Actually, those in Racing Point are very happy. They can, they've really got this kind of Mercedes clone right. Well, yeah. I mean, people are calling the pink Mercedes, and they're not that far wrong. But they, you know, Racing Point learned a bit of a philosophy change with looking at trying to build the Mercedes. And I understand the way they went about it, and I, I do think it's possible. Tough, but possible. But basically, the, when they got the car to a level where it was probably producing the sort of downforce levels that give you the opportunity to compare to what you've done in the past, they discovered that the characteristics of the car aerodynamically were very, very different from what they had pursued for many years. And, and basically, it's pretty simple. and had a much more stable aerodynamic platform um, as opposed to very peaky downforce. Racing Point's old cars probably had a bit more downforce but it was like a knife edge. You never could use it because it just was. It would just go away from you just that quickly, just from a right height change or whatever. So they learned a new philosophy. They've pursued that new philosophy, and they've developed what was last year's Mercedes concept as far a bit further, basically. And I think they got a good car. It looks good in the track. It's, it's one of those cars. Maybe watch it. It's always doing okay. You know, it's never doing anything wrong. Um, I've got them down at the minute to be only like three tenths behind Ferrari. It's. Um, nine tenths behind uh, Mercedes and to be honest you'd expect that you know this, this is we're looking at a, a, a pink 2019 Mercedes as such and through the year you know Mercedes should have found nine tenths of a second so it's not that far wrong um, but as you say the drivers like it all that sort of stuff and and they you know they'll buy into that and they're a good race team you know Racing Point are a racing team they don't you know they don't on a Sunday they do a good job so I think they could be a pain in a few people's side. 
and the team itself is also indicating that they're you know they've they've sort of got Ferrari in their scopes. I think they've maybe they've bought into the fact that Ferrari is a little bit off the the, the front too, but they seem to be they seem to be quite open to the idea that they might at least be able to maybe they'll be a bit closer to Ferrari for for third place in Australia than they will be the the rest of the midfield and starting to now feel like maybe um, I was a bit too cynical writing off their claims that they would. Uh, they would be able to finish fourth in the championship and be closer to third than they would be fifth. Uh, at the time, that was on the basis that they would be build, like designing their own car from scratch. And I know that they have still done all the design and development work and construction of these parts, but you know, fair play to them. They've gone down this route. I think it's quite sensible, even though you could argue whether or not it's morally right or against the sort of spirit of what F1's meant to be or whatever. But I think this sort of thing's all, always been done to a degree. This is a, just an escalation in the trend, I suppose. And at the moment, you have to say it's been validated by what we've seen in pre-season. We had quite a good debate about that in, our, I think, our, our verdict from the first test uh, podcast. I would say if, uh, if people want to go back through the, the previous days of podcasts, there's, uh, there's a bigger picture of testing you can, you can get from there. So, yeah, Racing Point, yeah, I'd have my money on them to lead the way in the midfield. They, they are a really good team. They took fourth in the championship in two consecutive years when they really shouldn't have done in terms of the overall resource, the financial problems they had. That team is is absolutely I really I really rate it. And of course, Gary Anderson, you can take you can take a fraction of the credit because of course you started that team as uh, as Jordan. You were technical director there for many years. Well many years ago. But I, I feel proud for some of the people there because there, there's a lot of the people who are the same guys. And Andy Green, the technical director, is somebody that he was part of the original Jordan three as such myself. Andrew and Mark Smith um, were the people responsible for designing the first car. So, yeah, I, I, I look at it with a little bit of a smile, and I still see some things on the car that um, I still see some things on the car that came from, you know, the history of Jordan as such. So it's nice to see those little features appear again. So, yeah, I would love to see them get back to fourth in the championship from a personal point of view. But I'd also like to make sure I'd like to see them close the gap to those top three a little bit. And I think both of those can be achieved this year. They have to you know, the, the finishing fourth is one of those things that it's down to some of the other teams that are around them as opposed to them. They'll do the best job they can. They'll do a very good job. And I just like to see the gap from that team that's that's fourth to third being smaller than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, it's interesting that uh that battle at the front of the midfield everyone fears racing point McLaren I think we've kind of got as their the sort of number five shall we say Carlos Sainz Jr. earlier today was saying that the, the teams he sort of felt were McLaren's strongest midfield opposition were racing point yep okay and Alpha Tauri was the other team that he picked out so we've kind of got this group I, Renault are kind of in that vicinity I kind of feel like Alpha Tauri could start the season ahead of Renault and then maybe Renault's got more ultimate potential. But to be honest, that group of four feels like it might be that they they, they might be the they should be the top four in the in the midfield. But yeah, if that's the case, that's worrying for Renault, isn't it? Because they may not win the midfield. They might they might be able to manage expectations and get away with that. They should be winning the midfield, frankly, as a as a works team. But you know. Fifth, they can't be. If they're seventh, that that does doesn't even warrant thinking about, does it, Scott? I think it's really, really problematic because you've got this, you've got this interesting sort of cl- collection of teams in in the midfield, mate, and their setups are all different. You've got the Renault Works team, you've got McLaren, this fallen giant from the past, but with massive 
wealth attached to it. And a Renault engine. And a Renault, Renault engine. Customer team. Yep, Renault customer team. Racing Point, which has willingly uh, willingly copied the, the Mercedes design from last year, but is going to become the Aston Martin Works team next year. Um, Alpha Tauri taking the parts from, from Red Bull and is the Red Bull junior team. Um, Alfa Romeo, which is like a commercial works team, but is really Sauber. Um, and it's just, it's a very interesting mix. And I feel like what what we're seeing so far in pre-season, while, while it might only be applicable to 2020, because Racing Point won't be able to do this again next year, if they try and do the 2020 Mercedes for the 2021, I think they're going to fall foul of quite a few technical rules. But regardless of the fact that that particular concept is only valid for one season... I feel like the midfield battle po- can pose quite a big, wider philosophical question for F1 this year because, as you say, Ed, if a works team putting a load of money into it, it's basically wasting their time and money because they're only going to finish 6th and 7th. And I know that that is basically assuming Renault's doing the best job possible, and I don't think it is. It's definitely, it's definitely not. No. I mean, there's real potential there, good people, good resources, but there's something that's not clicking about Renault. Well, as I've pointed out a few times now, I, I, I still find it absolutely baffling because the twen- they're using a car this year, the, the design of it and the early development of it has been signed off by people who they've binned off because they don't think are good enough to, to work there anymore so and, or, or good enough to fulfil those ambitions. So Renault are in this really weird place. And then you've got McLaren, which obviously built a load of good momentum last year. And I actually think they still look in pretty decent nick. Andrea Seidel seems really happy with what they've worked through. So maybe... Well, well, they had the McLaren. They brought some new parts to this test. Everything seems to work. They were struggling a little bit still in the slow corners in the first test, but they've improved. New diffuser. Gary wrote a piece on, on the race.com about what that was to, to try and achieve. So I, I think McLaren are looking quite sensible. I, th- I think McLaren should be pretty happy with things. But I'm I'm perfectly happy to to also say that you know Alpha Tauri should look really good because we know how good the 2019 Red Bull was they've taken a lot of fundamental parts from that as much as the regulations allow and then a a, a, a very sensible technical team there has therefore been allowed to, to to focus its development on the areas that they need to focus on so I don't see any reason why Alpha Tauri shouldn't be be very good and you can argue you can argue whether or not a team with that sort of setup should be able to do as good a job as McLaren or Renault but the fact is that's what the regulations allow and that's why we've got this 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 mix of teams it is yeah I mean I, I think that Alpha Tauri one of their biggest well one of their decent advantages I suppose is the two drivers in Gasly and, and Kvyat they've got two drivers that actually visited for a short time the the, the pressures of a, of a top team Red Bull so they, they've come back to a, a more family-oriented team, um, and, and they brought. But they, they remember that pressure that a top team has from going from a small team. I'm not quite sure McLaren is as good as I've got here now because I did the same race run thing with with Saints compared to uh, to Hamilton and Leclerc, and um, I find them a little bit more of a disadvantage. I've got them down here as relative to Mercedes as uh, 1.1 seconds. I think that might be a little bit more than that, to be honest. Might be knocking on the door of 1.3. So, yes, the I think Racing Point, McLaren, and AlphaTauri will be the the next three. We've we've talked about Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. Uh, I think Racing Point will have the advantage. I think that M- McLaren and AlphaTauri will be ducking and diving. Um, you know, the same as the top three in reality. So there'll be there'll be two ducking and diving and one out front. Um, and I think Racing Point have got the the racing instinct to take that forward and very well. Yeah, it should make for a really intense competition actually in that in that midfield. It's going to be it's going to be a, t- a tight group. So we've kind of got those 
should we say four teams? We're not quite sure about about Renault at the moment. Obviously, you mentioned the. Uh, um, question marks about whether they've quite got the mechanical platform whether it's an aero problem a bit of understeer they're trying to solve so yeah we need to see a bit more there and then we've got the group at the, I want to say at the back of the midfield when I'm sort of talking about these three teams at the back of the midfield this is maybe separated from the rest by about a tenth and a half probably so this is really really small stuff and it would take very very little in terms of performance swings for one of these teams to, to move up so we've got Alfa Romeo that set some very quick times during much of testing, although ended up, I think, with the ninth or tenth fastest time overall, if you, if you go with pure fastest times. We've got Williams, which we know has taken a big step forward. They've got a car they can go racing with, so they're, they're pretty happy. And we've also got Haas that spent a huge amount of time data gathering, trying to see if they've got this aero problem carried over that they think they've eliminated, but that caused all their problems last year, including the, the tyre troubles. So we've got that group of, of three teams. Who, who do we think is going to be at the back of that group, or do you think it's just literally going to be an absolutely frenzied battle to get through to to Q2? Um, yeah, I mean, my order I've got is Alfa Romeo, and the time that actually has been taken as the yardstick here to, make, to do all these calculations was actually Robert Kubica in the car testing on the fourth day. So Robert, you know, in a car that's got some grip, he did a good job there. Again, we have no idea about fuel loads and whatever, but... I, I imagine that, that Polish sponsor all and quite like the idea yeah. of, of that quick time. I'm estimating it was pretty low, but if you want to depress your drivers to very much, you know, you can. that's the sort of thing, you, the games you play. So you just need to be careful with all that stuff because it's it's very easy to your two race drivers to get, get a bit downtrodden with it all. But anyway, I've got Alfa Romeo, Haas, and then Williams. Now, the thing about Williams, it's on the back of the field. It's not detached from the back of the field which is the important thing for them this year. They've got to be in there racing because they are, again, like, like Racing Point, a really good race team. And give them an opportunity and they'll take it. So I think by getting on the back of that field, that, that will be a mix. You'll see them you know, up in seventh sometimes, eighth, ninth, tenth, just because they get it right on the day. But um, they've a massive improvement. And you know, I've, as I say, I've got them 2.1 seconds slower than Mercedes. I actually think they're a little bit better than that in reality, but I, you know, I don't want to just sort of bed or not believe my numbers. I created my numbers from the, the bit of knowledge that I've got, which is probably very little, but on, on the facts that I get from a load of people, um, you know, you look at the, the fastest lap times, and as Scott was saying earlier, um, to me, look at how many laps everybody did after they did their fastest lap time. The most was two for the whole the whole grid. They did the fastest lap time and then two laps. In the past, we'd have seen them doing six or seven, eight, ten, maybe. So you can calculate that fuel load that they've used. But this this isn't like that. So I think a lot of teams are going out and giving it some welly. Not saying they're on five kilograms of fuel, but my lightest fuel load is 20 kilograms, which is still, you know, substantial amount. It's 20% of a full fuel tank. So you're not running on, on fumes. You're actually still trying pretty hard. But for Williams, if they can hang on to the back of the field and, and, and mix it on a few occasions with the other couple of teams in front of them, that will be a massive achievement for them. And I, and I hope they can do it. I feel like Haas is the team that's sort of the biggest unknown at the back because Alfa Romeo, I agree with what, with what Gary says. I feel like we've seen what that car's capable of because there was a, I can't, I, I don't believe it was a coincidence that Cubis gets when he's in the car. And don't get me wrong, absolutely lovely to see the guy top an official F1 day again. But I, I think that was, I think that's the car pretty, pretty close to what it's capable of. And 
I just there's not really anything about it that massively excites me. And reading what what you know what Gary's got Gary's written about the the, the rear wing and the uh, and the front wing and just sort of the the philosophy they seem to be sort of making up as as they go almost. And it's just it's just a bit confusing. Williams, as Gary says, looks a lot closer, looks more at the races, looks like a real racing car on track, which is which is very nice. And they've also had a lot of setbacks since the first couple of days of testing as well, with with things outside of their control on the engine side. So the fact that they've been able to work through that and, and do stuff that you know they've they've had some stuff to overcome and it hasn't been their fault, unlike twelve months ago when they when they were the um, the architects of their own downfall. So so Williams is really interesting and I want to see George Russell in the mix. Haas haven't got a clue to be completely honest, because as you say, they've been working through a lot of stuff. It's been really, really important for them. I think I feel like if any team has needed to correlate what they've done back at base with what they've got on track, it's Haas because of how badly 2019 got away from them. And at some point I thought, okay, right, that that will go because at some point we will see them really, really go at it and still feels like waiting to see exactly where they where they where they slot in at the moment at the moment i've got them at the back not right at the back i think they're ahead of williams but how many times have we seen that Haas go to australia and absolutely nail it in melbourne and being in q3 would for me that would require a big jump from what i've seen of the leading teams in the midfield now but i wouldn't want to rule them out just because i don't really know where they stand well Haas are, are the dark horses They've been very cautious in terms of what they've been saying because they're so aware of the fact they didn't detect this problem in pre-season testing last year or in Melbourne. So they've been being very, very cautious about that. Kevin Magnussen on day two of testing started to kind of suggest, well, well he did the first race simulation and he said, well, the tyres are behaving differently to what they did in race conditions last year. And I asked him, well, does that mean that you, you're confident you've eliminated this area problem? He said, well, he, he wouldn't go that far, but he said, what? Well, Exactly, so they're different, and that's probably a good thing. So, you know, signs for hope there. And we know what Haas can do. They've got a load of 2020 Ferrari parts on that car. They had the fourth fastest car in 2018 and finished fifth in the Constructors' Championship. So there could be some there could be some undeployed pace to see in that car. Although right now you've kind of got them down, down at the back. Uh, Williams, George Russell said, we're definitely the slowest car. I wonder whether there's a little bit of uh, managing expectations, and then I think Williams probably fancy their chances to, you know, not, they're not going to be up up there in Q3 um, week in week out by any means. But I think they really do think they can they can properly go racing with the teams at the back. So let's see what what they can do. And yeah, Alfa Romeo, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm just a I'm possibly being a little bit unfair on them. I'm just a little bit wary about where that cars are. I think we've seen a lot of. The performance and the driver lineup, Kimi Raikkonen, brilliantly consistent, brilliant feedback. He'll deliver decent races. Antonio Giovinazzi, a driver I rate, but struggled to string everything together last year. Yeah, I mean to be convinced by Alfa Romeo, but at the same time, we could go to the first few races and any one of those three teams we've got about could find a few tenths and suddenly it's a different proposition. It is so, so close there. And I think we can all, in terms of the midfield battle, certainly be pretty excited because not only is there that sort of slight chance racing point might be able to pull off something remarkable and bother the top three i probably don't think they will but there's that tiny hope but the whole rest of them are just in this mass so it's 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 brilliant and it's i think they're going to be closer than they were this is positive isn't it yeah it's for sure it's all positive um the thing i'd say at the minute is if you go out in the circuit and look at the cars <clears throat> the real quick cars just have good grip 
And then, you know, the lesser teams, and I'm talking about lesser because of budget and because of manpower, because all that stuff adds up, you can see they have just a little bit less grip. They just use a bit of, bit more track, some understeer here and there, nothing too dramatic, but it's just, it just has a grip level thing. The only car that I would jump in and say that I could see a, a problem is the Renault. It just doesn't, it, whenever they get the understeer, it then bites. Whenever you're sliding with the front tire, the front tire then grips on the Renault and, and the rear gives a, a bit of a nasty shake around. Um, and they really don't ride the bumps very well through the, bump, the bumps on turn eight going up the hill to turn nine. They uh, ride the curb there and there's a big sausage curb and, you know, it's like two cars. The front and the rear act differently. Whereas all the car, other cars take it as one vehicle. They still bounce, but, they, you know, the Renault doesn't sort of bounce and land. It bounces and bounces again and bounces again and then lands. Um, and the, on the, going to the Haas then from that, whenever they're dry, they're go, okay, the car looks great, all that. But whenever they seem to push that a little bit harder, the whole car gives up. It gets into a bit of a tank slapper. It just, it just washes out basically grip wise. So they could be having still some aerodynamic problems with that because it's not as though the car just breaks into a bit of an understeer or, you know, you can't, it's not a nice, it's not a nice breakaway. It just, the front goes and then the rear goes and then the front goes and, you know, before you know it, you're in the gravel trap. So it's not, it doesn't look that pleasant a car. Yeah, Renault also worry me. I think if I was going to Australia and had a choice for a few cars, I'd be wanting Racing Point and McLaren or maybe an Alfa Tauri for, for, for the early part of the season in, in, in that order. Well, we've got a bit of a feel for, for the, uh, for the order going into the first race. You'd say it's not definitive. It's testing at one track. The conditions aren't that representative. We really haven't seen everyone stretch their legs properly. I'd urge everybody who, who thinks that we're just looking at a massive walkover season from Mercedes to be a little bit patient and see how things, how things uh, shake out. There's a long way uh, to go, as Sebastian Vettel always likes to say, but plenty of questions to be answered when the first race of the season happens. Hopefully that will be in Australia in the not-too-distant future. We'll be back to relatively normal uh, podcast service uh, next week. Obviously, we'll do our our regular longer podcasts and then our, our extra episodes when uh, exciting news develops and we'll have a little bit more chat ahead of the season, a season preview coming up. And I should remind everyone, do, do have a look at our, our video on YouTube about the Ferrari engine bombshell. If you if you search for FIA drops Ferrari engine bombshell and the race, you'll, uh, you'll find our YouTube channel. And yeah, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and follow us because we're going to be there throughout the whole season. Thanks very much for joining us all the way through testing and we will be back with more next week.